Welcome to the Museum Revealed podcast, brought to you by the Queensland Museum Network. Join me, Dr. Rob Bell, as we chat to the people that make museums so fascinating, from curators to scientists and researchers. We dive deep with conversations with these storytellers that inspire us to be curious about our past and make sense of the present and help us consider the future. And right now, I am joined by the curator of social history, Judith Hickson. Judith, you are involved in contemporary collecting, and so my question, I guess, is what is contemporary collection? Most people think of a museum as a place that is either full of old stuff, cool old stuff exactly. usually, uh, or maybe animal specimens, that sort of thing. But contemporary collecting is not really either of those things, correct? No, uh, Rob, it's not. Contem- contemporary collecting is um, it's a relatively new field of collecting. It's been around 50 years. Um, I guess, and it's uh, it's evolving and changing all the time. Um, most recently, because of the situation with museums, that we are um, we have storage, uh, we have um, very big storage problems. We everyone's running out of storage. Every institution, libraries, we museums, can't keep collecting forever, we right? You, you keep run out collecting. of room. And I think, and I also think there's um, people are much more aware of environmental concerns these days that. Um, uh, that we can't, as as you say, we can't keep producing, we can't keep collecting. And what are we collecting for? And another issue with uh, museums has been that 95% of the collections never see the light of day. They're Mm -hmm. in storage, um, they're there for people to come and research, but really the public never gets to see um, what's in museums anyway. So it's been, it caused a massive rethink about what we are actually doing um, as museums and what our, um, our relevance is and what our obligation is to the public that um, that fund us. Yeah, so, so. so then contemporary collecting, I'm guessing from its name, if nothing else, is collecting items, things that are a snapshot of how things are today? Yes, uh, Rob. So contemporary collecting um, as a field of collecting for museums began in the 1970s with uh, Samdok, which was a collection of Swedish museums who set about, who realised that we weren't collecting that, you know, exactly as we, you said earlier, that museums were collecting objects from the past. But the trouble with those uh, collecting objects that have uh, existed 100 years ago have come to us lo- much later is we don't collect the context, the history, the stories that go with those objects. So most of the objects that are in museums today, we have to, we have, there's an enormous amount of research that has to go into those to find the stories that are attached to them. Whereas when you uh, are collecting in a contemporary sense, you are right there um, where the objects are, where they come from. We meet the people, we see the context, we know the history, and we record all that with the object. So there's a lot of um, work that goes into um, assessing an object for its suitability, um, identifying it first, and then um, recording as much detail as we can so that curators of the future can understand those objects much more fully than they did in the past. So So I guess because the present is obviously destined to become the past, (laughs) time travels forward. So it's a matter of, I suppose, finding those things that we think in 20, 30, 50, 100 years times will be the sorts of things that we want people to know in the future (laughs) about the past, those significant kind of events or stories. Yes, Rob, that's true. And I think that that's one of the the tricky, uh, I guess, issues that we deal with is that there's so much happening in the world today. What do we concentrate on? 
and that really does come down to the amount of staff that are available and the different collecting passions that each have, the interests that people have, um, and also the availability of storage. So we, we have to be much more discretionary about what we choose to collect. We have a couple of examples of this where um, people have just uh, donated whole households household of, of goods and and the museum has taken them all in and catalogued them all and they're all sitting there, but we don't know anything about how they were used, who used them, uh, what their relevance was, and even do we want 50 matchboxes? Do we need uh, 500 toothpicks? Do we need, you know, <laughs> what sort of things? And these are just taking up space. They're also, and conservation time, and, and a lot of, um, the, a lot of um, funding goes into those, those um, departments in museums. So what we're trying to do now is to be, object to be much more objective about what we collect as well as subjective. And contemporary collecting, if, if it's done well, can allow us to do that. We, we have what we, we, we look at what we call multivocal objects, which means that they can tell multiple stories. And we look at the issues, the big issues of today. I think we have to be very uh, careful about the range of issues that we're looking at. We obviously can't collect everything. So when we're collecting around a particular a particular story, um, say if it's climate change, we look at the um, the stories that we think will tell will will most I guess successfully convey the type of actions and thoughts and passions and interests that were uh, going into those um, ideas at the time at the time. So that's what contemporary collecting is, and as you said, it will become something of the past in the part in the future but I think the more uh, information that we can supply makes them much, so much more relevant than if they were just an object that we collected for its own sake which is probably uh, or as an example or as a type as a type of object um, so you know that we have 50 Mrs Potts irons for instance mm -hmm. or um, but not one single Mrs Potts iron with a story of who used that yep. iron and why they used it and when they used it and where and so that's the that's really what contemporary collecting is it's it's not it's not necessarily new but it's evolving constantly and there's also um, an even, I guess it's simpler, similar to collect, uh, contemporary collecting, but what they're calling, um, the new, newest form of collecting is what they call rapid response collecting, which is rapidly responding to something that happens. So, um, for instance, if there's, a, I know the National Museum is very good at this. They have quite a lot of funding and staff available. So they've been doing a lot of rapid response collecting in relation to the recent bushfires in the Snowy Mountains. Yep. They've gone down to the communities. They've um, recorded stories from people down there. They've got objects that tell really amazing stories. I think one of the objects that I've heard recently that they've collected is a telephone box with the, where the phone has melted into the box. And, oh, wow. and that was the only form of communication for a lot of people who had lost homes and mobile phones. So I think it, was, it's, it's, it will tell a story about communication and lack of communication, fire damage. Mm disaster, people's stories. And that's the type of collecting that people are looking at now. That's, so it's very, very contemporary. It's, it's on the run, really. Um, rapid response collecting that people are, that museums are very keen on doing at the moment because there's so many things happening that we're going to have to respond really quickly to, to the event. So if there's a big street march um, for climate change uh, that we, we know about, we will just 
um, take staff over there, photographers, take our collection books and, and uh, off we go and get the stories on the ground from the people who are there. Getting the stories as they happen, almost they sounds happen. Uh, yeah, a little bit like a, a news show as well, isn't it? Look, join us back again shortly because we're going to delve into COVID and what you might collect from COVID. And we're also going to find out if you at home might actually be a contemporary collector and not know about it. So we'll catch you soon. Unleash your inner scientist at Queensland Museum's Spark Lab. See giant sparks of electricity, test out your strength and observe magnetic liquid as you explore our fun interactive science exhibits. Spark Lab is an unmissable experience unlike any other. Book your tickets now at qm.qld.gov.au backslash Welcome back to the Museum Revealed podcast. I am chatting to Judith Hickson, who's a curator of social history. And we've been talking a little bit about contemporary collection and collecting things around bushfires. But the other very contemporary thing, the elephant in the room, or maybe it's the virus in the room, COVID. Are you collecting things, um, items around COVID? I don't know what it might be. A face mask or what sort of objects are you collecting i guess to remind us of this period hopefully it's a very short period in our history eventually but i guess we don't know at this point no rob that's 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 very interesting because yes we are uh, in the uh with the amount of time that we have available and the uh, scope that we are working within at the moment yes we're trying to collect um material that relates to the covid19 crisis because of course this is one of the biggest uh, catastrophes that's um, basically to hit humankind, I think, well, indefinitely in over a century mm. uh, as, uh, in terms of disease, not, I'm not counting war. But, um, yes, yeah, so what we've... Um, so, of course, right at the beginning, we were very keen collecting lots of uh, COVID-19-related items. We collected... We uh, sent it... So, of course, the two big items that we... Uh, that were in the news quite a lot at the beginning of the crisis were hand sanitizer, yep. which everybody was short of, <laughs> yes. and, um, and face masks. And uh, two very innovative Brisbane companies at that time uh, were producing both of those. Uh, one of them was uh, a men's grooming company called The Bearded Chap, which is a very small, bespoke company based in, uh, Wooling in Woolloongabba. And they were producing uh, very upmarket, I guess, men's grooming products for beards and hair, and uh, and um, they very one of the uh, men who was the director there, uh, his wife or his partner at the time was a doctor, an emergency doctor at the Gold Coast Hospital, and she had come home and said that you know hand sanitizer just wasn't available, so they quickly decided that they could turn their hand to manufacturing hand sanitizer and they but then of course ethanol was there very much in that the short became supply, a short supply the as well yes i remember at the time so they apparently the story was that they were rushing around brisbane to all these small uh, hardware companies and service stations uh looking for ethanol yep. and they buy five liters here and 10 liters there and uh finally one day they were, one of the one of them was in bunnings in ipswich and happened to mention it to the uh, shop assistant she Whose, um, whose son worked on ABC Radio. So the story went out on ABC Radio and within uh, a few short hours, there was a call from one of the government ministers saying, we can get you all the ethanol you want, just let us know how much you need. Wow. So uh, that was when the Bundaberg Rum Distillery came into the oh, picture. So it switched over. <laughs> so the Bundaberg Rum Distillery donated huge amounts of ethanol to this company 
to start producing hand sanitizer. Um, they also, uh, so while we have some very lovely specimens of these lovely hand sanitizer, which they've donated to our collection, it's got a very slightly rummy smell to it. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> but I think definitely not unpleasant. And this is an excellent example of where you talk about it's not just the object. Obviously, there could be a bottle of hand sanitizer. And you go, oh, there, I remember hand sanitizer. But it's the story that you've just told us that goes with that object. I think that's what encapsulates things in the collection yeah that's right and because we're a queensland museum we collect queensland stories that's a very queensland mm, story it's, absolutely. it's local and it's a and of course everybody uh knows Bundaberg rum it's a very very famous rum distillery uh known around the world and uh yeah so that was a fantastic story and they have gone on to continue to make hand sanitizer um and have done particularly well out of that so they very very kindly donated uh bottles of uh, samples of their hand sanitizer and other products that they've made, which has been fantastic. Another company that w have donated, uh, generously donated to us, have been a company called 3D One, and they were a three um, D three uh, D printing company. Oh, okay, yes. Um, who decided that they would uh, start making face shields mm -hmm. because face shields were in short supply, yep. and they uh, put out a call. Australia wide and anybody with a three put out some product specifications anyone with a 3d printer could make face shields and they received I think about a hundred thousand wow. face shields uh, so many that they haven't in the end they haven't been able to distribute them they had bundles of them they may have since been able to do that they uh, continued to refine the uh, designs so so they have different designs we've got um, different, they've donated different iterations of the face shield, and so we have some examples of those. Uh, these are just two of the main, and they were two of the biggest stories, I guess, face masks and sanitizers. Yeah, absolutely. And then there was um, the community involvement, what happened in the community during that time. There was a lot of community interaction. People were at home. Um, well, we're all in lockdown, so we're all in life lockdown, changed. And the only people who were out and about were the health workers. Yep. And, of course, uh, there was a big shout-out to the health workers who were... At that time, we assumed we were going to be risking their lives for us. She, so we've got a beautiful banner that was made by three very lovely little boys, little brothers, who made a beautiful banner and hung it on their fence. It's got a lovely rainbow and it's got honk for the helpers. And apparently their, their dad said that um, people are still honking when they drive oh, past, Grace. even though the banner is safely in the museum collections now. So we've got that. And they are actually our youngest donors. Okay. to the museum wow. so that was a fantastic story we've also got leaflets flyers uh everyone remembers the parks were all closed down the the um gyms and the uh, swings were all uh, roped off so we've got um posters that we took afterwards not uh not while <laughs> the signs yep. are up um and they're the sorts of things that we're still collecting and we would love people to call in if they think they have a great story with a COVID-19 related um, story that's the sort of thing that we will we feel that will tell a great story in the future it'll tell people in a hundred years time what it was like to live through this and if um, and that's what we really want to do we want to give people of the future an experience of what it's like for us now what we're what we're facing the, the things that it's brought out in our community the good things the not so good things mm. Yes, so and particularly that's what collecting's all about, and storytelling. Yeah, look, and when you talk about COVID, and obviously that's something we don't have a vaccine for at the moment, but you do have something in the collection that's sort of, I guess, a 
a reminder of, of something that was a very successful vaccination campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, so, yes, Robert, recently, and I, I was just thinking about its relevance today, um, even now, we have a beautiful, uh, quite an incredible object. It's a large cabinet uh, containing, I think, 67 dolls in traditional costumes. It was an innovative um, idea by the uh, one of the Brisbane Rotary Clubs, uh, Brisbane Inner North, Rotary Club back in 1970s and it was to, to raise awareness for and to raise funds for the polio vaccination campaign, eradication campaign. The, um, the eradication campaign was has been sponsored throughout the world by the World Health Organization but also to a huge degree by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's one of their um, biggest campaigns, health campaigns and uh, so the uh, so the Rotary Dolls Cabinet, um, it also tells a worldwide story of how much involvement around the world with Rotary and the World Health Organization, but it tells a very local story as well. And one of the um, reasons that we were very keen on collecting it, not just to tell the polio story, was to tell about the success, it's a vaccination success story. Um, at the moment, unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 crisis, um, uh, there is a concern that polio may again spread because people haven't been able to access the vaccines okay, in particular yeah. areas. There was an almost, I think, I think at one stage they were hoping that uh, the only cases of polio in the world were what they call wild polio virus, which was something that just appears. Um, it's not spread. It's, it just appears in particular circumstances but they were the only cases now unfortunately because of the recent uh, crisis that that's reappearing in, in larger numbers but vac uh, vaccination without vaccination um, pe most people today don't realize there are 200,000 people living in Australia today who have experienced polio who are living with polio and are also experiencing what, what is now becoming very obvious there's a another um, degree which is called post polio syndrome where people are still experiencing even uh, even though they've recovered years ago they they're, they're now um, becoming sick again and are losing their mobility through what's become known as post-polio syndrome. So vaccination is really, really important and we really wanted to counteract some of the anti-vaccination uh, campaigns that were appearing quite a lot, particularly in relation to measles, uh, which was uh, it seems to have been got off the radar mm. slightly yes, yep. <laughs> since COVID-19. And also with COVID-19, of course, we're all, we're all just hanging out for a vaccine. And, Indeed. Um, and we can see it as our only solution. So I think... Uh, the story of vaccination particularly is really, really relevant today and we would we will be collecting in that area. I know that Queensland, you know, the University of Queensland is doing a lot of um, fantastic research and development in that mm. area and we will be in touch with them as we also have been with another uh, unit of the at the University of Queensland who are producing face masks made from Queensland wool. Okay, excellent. Uh, and doing experimenting with a... With a with a wool company here. So yes, so there's some really fantastic, um, innovative things in Queensland that are happening here and we will be collecting them as we can in the next few months. But of course, we just have to be very careful that we don't um, rush in 
too early and that we wait and we're not hampering any efforts when we do we don't want to get in anyone's way but certainly we'd love to hear from people indeed excellent now look my, my last question i suppose is somewhat of a selfish one in a way but but it also probably pertains to a lot of people out there so when i was younger i collected 50 cent pieces not just any 50 cent piece but in particular they were commonwealth games 50 cent pieces um, from when it was in queensland in brisbane um so at the time i guess that was sort of contemporary collecting because I just wanted to see how many of these things I get and it was probably a good way to save money as well and I branched out to other 50 cent pieces. I recently found that collection and now I guess it's a it's a snapshot of the past. I mean is are there people out there that I suppose are doing their own contemporary collecting and not realizing it? I think there are Rob. I think there's I think we're, there's a lot of people who are collectors to some degree and I think uh, even with your 50 cent collection, <laughs> 50 cent piece collection for the Commonwealth Games, we did a, 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 a small uh, exhibition at the museum on Commonwealth Games a couple of years ago when it was uh, at the Gold Coast. And uh, it was incredible how many small collections from small boys of <laughs> um, collect things that they collected, hats, um, memorabilia, memorabilia yeah. from the games um, that that were that they that were donated to the museum. People um, that collected them and put them aside and probably were going to throw them out. Um, yes, came forward and and they were they were very much a part of our uh, ex exhibit. Oh, so, excellent. So, so, so please, all yes. of those things you've got there that you're gathering dust, you think, ah, that's that's no one wants that. You never know. The museum one matter. You keep your contemporary collection; it'll become the past. It may become something that's, very, very interesting. That's right. Even matchboxes. We have a collection of matchboxes that um, that the Redhead Matchbox Company put out uh, with that were relevant to the Commonwealth Games as well. The the 1982 Commonwealth Games. Yep, yep. Oh, brilliant. Yes, so matchboxes, 50 cent coins, you name it. So there you go. Museums are not just full of old stuff and dead animals, as many people may have thought before, but you know, you know differently. Judith, thanks so much for joining us, uh, and thanks everyone else for joining us on the Museum Reveal podcast. What did you uncover this episode? Are you interested in learning more? Well, you can follow the Queensland Museum on social media at QLD Museum or head to our website qm.qld.gov.au and while you're there, sign up for the e-news list so you can be the first to know everything that's going on at the museum. And until next time, stay curious. <laughs>